On the Empire Podcast this week, we travel into the future with After Earth. We travel back in time to talk to Damien Lewis at the Cannes Film Festival. We go behind the candelabra for Steven Soderbergh's last ever film, and the Iceman cometh, as Michael Shannon drops in for a chat about his new movie. Well, new movies. He is General Sod as well, lest we forget. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, the only movie podcast that used to go to Cartier every weekend for, like, a month and just stand outside with their noses pressed against the glass watching Jaden Smith buy everything. <sighs> anyway, as ever, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. The first is Empire's resident mad celebrity wrangler. If you want someone to disable a beauty or wrestle a full-grown Gibson to the ground, here's your man. It's Nick DeSemlin. Today, the part of Nick DeSemlin will be played by James Dyer. Yes, that's true. Uh, Nick was meant to be in the podcast, but uh, James, you filled in for him at very, very short yes, notice. Yes, at the 11th and, hour, yeah, I am being Nick. I didn't have a chance to rewrite. Nick's intro so yeah. I hope that's acceptable to I, you I feel quite hard done by but it's fine yeah it's fine You're, frankly you, you don't deserve an intro of your own fair uh, enough next up is a young whippersnapper who just celebrated a birthday hey you know what that means he owes us each a tenner according to the ancient bylaws of the Empire podcast uh, but my reckoning Ali that's uh, 30 pounds yes mm, thank you or rather yes yes uh, Ali Plum there everybody and last but not least is a newcomer to the Empire podcast I can't believe it's taken a year, over a year, to get this man into the podcast. But he don't come cheap. And that's the problem. He's our editor-at-large, Mr. Nev Pierce. Uh, how much was your fee, Nev? It was uh, £30, pounds, I believe? Quid, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ali, pay the man. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, okay we're going to take some questions for you guys now. Uh, the first one is from at Lord of Darry, who asks, Since Matt Smith has left as the Doctor, who... He did it with a capital. Who... Oh, very good. Yeah. Who should replace him? Discuss. Um... This is the news, obviously, that Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor Who, has left the role, or will be leaving the role, as of the Christmas special this year. There's feverish speculation on the internet about who should replace him. James, I know you're a big Doctor Who fan. Hugh Dancy. Hugh Dancy. And he's, he's going to go around from, from world to world, getting into the heads of, of alien killers and going a bit mental. Fair enough. I don't watch Doctor Who. Do you no, know what? When I, I said you're a big Doctor Who fan, I wouldn't, that was... I wouldn't wish this part on anyone I like, so someone rubbish. It's a difficult one because we're currently, well, I'm currently putting together a feature on what the Doctor Who's did after they were Doctor Who, and we're often not. It's not that great a story. Of oh, thank you very much. Radagast the Brown speaks otherwise. Well, there are exceptions, of course, <laughs> but more often than not, yes. Yes. <laughs> you're tarred with a Doctor Who brush, you're tardist with a Doctor Who brush oh, for good. a long time, and it's difficult to get out of it. Even David Tennant, who is a very charismatic man and he's totally capable of acting, hasn't had the best career. So even though Matt Smith, who's now going to appear in our man Ryan Baby Goose Gosling's directorial debut, I mean, Chris and I, you were having this conversation with me just yesterday about where's he going to go? What's going to happen to him? Do, mm. do we really think he's got a, a career outside of this? And that's the... No, that, that seems to be a genuine one, is it? That's a, What day is it today? Is it, it's no, Wednesday. it's Wednesday. That's the fire alarm test. It's going to stop. It's going to stop or we're going to burn. I'm blaming Nev. The last time he came in for the podcast, something went catastrophically wrong and we had to stop after about five minutes and here we are again <laughs> we're having to stop after five minutes I interviewed Jason Biggs and Alison Hannigan for uh, American Pie or Pie 2 one of the two and this very same thing happened but we carried on the interview persisted we don't care yeah we don't care um, we'll be back after these messages <laughs> well that was uh, interesting that was a fire I guess it was, it was in many ways like watching Backdraft in many ways like watching Backdraft more probably the Backdraft experience at Universal Studios <laughs> which has now sadly been shut down yeah anyway yes Matt Smith Doctor Who go 
Uh, yes, I was just talking, waffling on about you know how playing Doctor Who isn't really, as James says, that much of a boon. But in terms of who might want to play it afterwards in an our ideal world, who would we want to play Doctor Who? A lot of people have said very optimistically, I think Chris O'Dowd, that's not going to happen. Some people have oh, even good. suggested his IT Crowd co-star and submarine director, Richard Iowadi. Yep. Again, I think that's quite, you know, maybe not. Uh, I think he'd be a brilliant Doctor. I think he'd be brilliant, uh, though he's quite similar to previous Doctor Who's, is Ben Whishaw, uh, but he's got quite a few things on his plate. I can't see him doing that. Uh, well, nor do I. Uh, the bigger question here is, are we going to get a female Doctor? I mean, people say this every time a Doctor is re-Doctored, and maybe, maybe now is the time. I think it'd be a very interesting thing to see, for, an, for a number of obvious reasons. Now, if you've got a couple of kids, three kids actually... Uh, do you watch Doctor Who with him? Do you have a strong opinion on this? I do, I watch it with my oldest. Uh, the latest season I thought was a little bit disappointing, but I think Matt Smith's great, and I think he will have a really successful career afterwards. It's not really surprising, I guess, that he left, given the option to go well with Gosling. I'd do yeah. anything for Gosling. Um, my oldest is devastated. He can't believe it. He's very shocked. I had to sort of talk him down from a ledge. I'm excited <laughs> to see who does it. I mean, Dan Jolin suggested Julian Anderson, who I think would be really good, although, yeah, there is that debate about switching the gender of the role. Um, I like um, Daniel Kaluuya. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that rightly. He was in The Fate. And yeah, so fantastic. I saw you mm-hmm. tweeted about that the other day. Um, um, be nice to. I mean, he's he's even younger than Matt Smith was when he got the role. I think Matt Smith was 26 and yeah. Daniel was 24. But yeah. I think he's got a great energy. I think he'd be really good at it. Um, someone suggested to me the other day Olivia Coleman, who has become this national treasure over the last year and a half or so, and I think she'd be a very very good shout if you wanted to go with a, a female doctor. Um, uh, I think the the favourite at the moment. People were saying that. An actor called Ben Daniels, who was in the British version of Law and Order, seems to have it in the bag already. Someone's been saying that he's been cast since January, which is interesting. But uh, and I guess you'd have to be because it'd be filming it now. Regeneration in the mm-hmm. Christmas special would not have already happened, or that would have already happened, wouldn't it? No, they haven't filmed it yet. They haven't filmed, they haven't filmed it yet. Okay. But the my, the favourite rumour, or you know, not really a rumour, but my favourite thing was the bookies are giving odds on Jason Statham. Okay, Statham, the doctor. That'd be amazing. Monster, you slag. I'm going to regenerate your face. Kicking a, <laughs> kicking a Dalek's helmet off, that'd be, that'd be great. Oh, I'd love to see that. I'd actually start watching Doctor Who if that, if, if, if that were the case. Uh, yeah, because, like James, I don't watch Doctor Who. No. Uh, Ali, do you watch Doctor Who? Occasionally. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not like, obsessed with it. So, Nev, you're the closest thing we have to a Whovian in the, in the pod booth. That's a scary thought. Yeah. <laughs> I see, I just, I don't know, maybe I just, I just don't get it. I, I enjoyed it very much as a child. I found it, frankly, terrifying. Uh, as a child but I yeah. started watching it again I watched the Paul McGann you know the TV movie that one which wasn't great well I had um, a thought the other day why don't they bring back Paul McGann they could bring back Paul McGann uh, you didn't get a fair shot at that because it was that rubbish made for American TV yeah it wasn't very good yeah no it didn't it didn't capture but it but he was good yeah but equally like when I started watching the Christopher Eccleston ones I, I watched that whole series right up to the big Dalek finale and it just no and this is from someone who has watched every episode of Fast Cake three times <laughs> yes. I'm just saying I think that kind of invalidates your really? opinion. Really? <laughs> I thought it gave me added weight, but hey. I think, I think it invalidates your opinion on everything, every time Fair you enough. introduce that. Uh, so, there we go. Uh, in answer to your question, Lord Adarni, we have no idea. Uh, Sophie Key, via email, uh, says, I'm a big fan of Secret Cinema and was recently blown away by a screening of 2001 A Space Odyssey at the Sydney Opera House with a live orchestra and choir performing the score. Wow. Uh, what have been your favourite unconventional cinematic experiences and what would you love to see in the future? What intolerance at the Royal Opera House? Not the Royal Opera House, I can't remember where it was. Somewhere on the top. <laughs> big building had an orchestra there. Oh, I know that, that one, awesome. yes. Nurse that come Queen with Elizabeth Hall, that one, or...? 
look at my face. Royal Festival Hall, probably, that's what it was. That sounds right. That's Let's why I watched that. Uh, 2001 with a full orchestra as well a couple oh. of years ago. That was stunning. But it's funny because there are quite a lot of sections where there's nothing. There's no music required. And you just see these guys, you know, the violinists, whoever, just looking up and going, oh, yeah. Playing yeah. Candy Crush Saga on their phones. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was quite odd. Uh, I've also, with you, Chris, recently seen Jaws yeah. in Cannes on the beach on yeah. deck chairs. And you were talking to Richard Dreyfus about it and said, oh, you know, it was pretty cool to watch Jaws on the Beach. He got quite angry about the fireworks. Because you know, fireworks, basically, there was a premiere going on in Cannes because, you know, Cannes doesn't shut down for the Cinema de la Plage. And, they, and these massive fireworks went off about 10, 20 minutes into the film. So they drowned out completely the uh, that's some bad hat Harry uh, line. Uh, and uh, I talked to Richard Dreyfus the next day and he was furious about it. It's like, well, you know, they can't shut down the festival. Sad. Um, I don't know. Unconventional. I was going to say. I was going to say Jaws. I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but watching Dread at Comic Con, sat next to Dread, was uh, an interesting experience. Um, but yeah, I can't. I, I, unconventional ones. I don't. I, don't I really saw know. Black Hawk Down sitting in the row in front of, uh, <laughs> um, in front of Ridley, and uh, my phone went off. Uh, in the film that was deeply deep it's the only time my phone has ever gone off in a film and I'm sitting directly in front of the director that was absolutely excruciating oh my god um, that wasn't so much unconventional as it was taking my life in my hands the whole cast was sitting with him as well it was really honestly it was unbearable oh my god but in terms of cinematic I saw well, we saw Donnie Darko in a field once um, it was one of those I don't was it Kensington Gardens or something like that and um it was the middle of summer and we I went with Ollie and uh, were you there? no no okay fine uh, we turned up at about 6 o'clock p.m. not occurring to us that it doesn't get dark till about 10 and you can't really show a film until it gets dark so that's we right. just sat on the grass for many hours that's a great story it, what, is it, I could tell it again if you want yeah, please uh, do <laughs> from the man who brought us I saw a film once but I can't remember where it was and it might have it might have been Saving Private Ryan but I can't remember uh, yeah it's more S dark he's, he's come preloaded with great anecdotes yeah you said you had anecdotes. No, oh, I never said anything. I said, what? Give, Where give are we us going? an anecdote, Nev. I come said, on. What? You said, do you want to come for a cup of coffee? I'm like, okay. <laughs> we suddenly just, I'm in here. <laughs> Put a bag I, I demand head. an anecdote. Give us one. Anyone, now. If Mark were here, he'd have a fantastic <laughs> yeah, shaggy dog story. Yeah, and Mark's stories about what happens to me are always more interesting than what actually happened. <laughs> I get Mark in here talking about my life. It sounds really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Another cracking anecdote there. From it's good. It's very good. <laughs> from Nev Pierce. Yeah, it's totally right okay. First and final appearance. Uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a tricky one, this question. This is from at Tony Oakley. It says, in light of the huge twist in this week's Game of the that TV show, Game of Thrones has a twist. I also, I think yeah. it's safe to say that we can spoil this for several reasons. One, Why? everyone's read the books, and if they haven't, they should have done. But more important than that, every single news outlet in the world spoiled this the minute it aired. It was on Twitter before it aired over here. But there are still people who haven't seen it. It was yeah. the Daily Mail had screen grabs of the insert bleep here the morning before it aired in the UK. Mm. I mean, if, yeah. if that's not the definition of irresponsible then I don't it's know what no it is. surprise to any listeners of this podcast and to anybody who knows Game of Thrones that A there's a twist in this episode and B deaths are involved this is Game of Thrones of but course we won't say deaths. we won't say who dies yes. just in case we will not ruin yeah. it for you but suffice it to say it's a very big thing in the books it's in many for many people the high point of the of the saga in the books because it's the biggest surprise I this is why David uh, Benioff and the other chappy whose name I've forgotten the creators of the show thank yeah. you DBY's wanted to make the uh, the show in the first place but anyway that's not the question the question is what movie or TV twists and I think we should focus on TV twists for this one what TV twists shocked you the most I think we can dance around it because okay. w- I think if you follow my lead we're not going to actually ruin it for anyone often at the end of seasons of shows there are twists you're so kidding please don't 
be upset about that if I mention the fact that at the end of season four of Breaking Bad, la 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 la, la I haven't seen it yet. There are twists. Thank you. And they're excellent. If you're familiar with Breaking Bad, you'll know what I mean. They really work and very impactful. This is the podcast of great anecdotes, isn't it? No, people who know the show will know what I mean. If they haven't watched the show, then they'll go and watch it. If it's you've good. made it this far, then fair play, yeah, do stick around. There will be some interesting stuff later on. No, 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 one. It, well, no, no I was to say, if it helps, I don't really watch TV. <laughs> okay, that is very helpful. <laughs> I was racking my brains and I thought, well, there was an episode of Quantum Leap yeah. where it, it looked like the devil was in it and then at the end it was oh, all a dream. This, is this the Stephen King one? Was it? Yeah, yeah. It that's was, the Stephen King one. the scariest but thing it's, I've ever it's, seen. It was all I a dream. Was like or was it? Or was it? Mm. Mm. I love those twists. Mm. Or yeah. was it? So I'm Indeed. sorry if I've ruined a series that's like 20 years it's old. It's possible this podcast is a dream, quite frankly. Yeah, possibly. Of course, nightmare. The one we can talk about, I think it's fair enough to say, is when Ross says Rachel at ah. the wedding. Yes, that's true. Yes. Whoa. Uh, the biggest twist, because uh, that was heavily spoiled, of course, uh, the biggest twist in that episode come with some when uh, Chandler and Monica hook up. That's the biggest twist. And that wow. is, in many ways, this, the, uh, the series defining twist of Friends. I would say their relationship and not Ross and Rachel is the An ex-girlfriend of mine told me who killed Laura Palmer. I remember where I was. I was standing on Carnaby Street. We were outside a bar. She came up to me and told me who killed Laura Palmer because she knew that I was watching the show after everyone else. Really? Actually came up and just said it, turned around and walked off. That's incredibly yeah. annoying. James, I've, I've met you so I can absolutely understand why <laughs> she would have done that. But that is, that is, yeah. that is a little bit harsh. I was, uh, I was incandescent. Yeah, It's weird because uh, Twin Peaks absolutely is a very good example of that because when I was watching that show... You know, there was no, there was no internet back in those days, and you didn't mm. see the sheer amount of spoilers and and TV mm. recaps and and whatnot that that there are, there are around these days. Uh, and so, yeah, the revelation that it was him, him, was uh, was huge to me at the time, and I genuinely didn't see that coming. And the episode where it's revealed is is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, now we have Twitter, which ruins everything. <laughs> Twitter, which ruins everything, and as you know, and this is a weird sort of pathological thing I have. Uh, I have a tendency to try and seek out spoilers in shows that I'm watching you so that so I'm odd. emotionally prepared for them. But more than that, don't you read the episode summaries before you watch each episode? That's what I just said. No, but the whole, not, not just spoilers, but just the whole thing. You just like to know what happens. Yes. Where does this come from? Is this just because of shows like Criminal Minds where it's a bit creepy? Oh, no, no, Criminal Minds, I don't, I don't, I don't watch, I don't read recaps for okay. Criminal Minds because okay. quite frankly, you know, who it doesn't cares? matter. Who cares? <laughs> it's, it's the, every, every episode is the same. CSI, every episode is the same. Uh, blockbusters, every episode is the same. Uh, but for something like Breaking Bad, where I'm emotionally invested in the characters, I don't want to go into that and then have the gut punch of seeing someone being Are you gut punched. Kidding me? But that no, takes I'm, away sort it of doesn't. all it the doesn't. power of the show. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. Not for me, it doesn't. I think you're insane. You are I know. insane. Well, maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I don't. think. I don't think we are. Um. I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so is this why you're you're happy to? That we should just now we should just spoil everything on the podcast for the good of all the listeners. No, so they don't have that. No, emotional because obviously I realise I'm very much in a minority <laughs> in that one. But uh, you know, for something like Breaking Bad, when they when they eight episodes, I'm going to have to try very hard not to read because obviously it airs in the States before we get to see it in August 11th so, yeah so you know I'm going to try very hard not to read each episode just to make sure that a character I really really like hasn't been bumped off in that episode that's oh. generally why I do it I'm just tense talking about it let's have another question uh, what would be your all time movie plus concert combo should we, should we do the uh, we have we have to mention it don't we we have to mention the it. Scott Pilgrim screening that we went to yeah. at Comic Con uh, where Metric were playing directly after the film yeah 
uh, it was very good. It was fantastic. They played and Black Sheep as soon as the credits had finished rolling. When you just listened to the whole of Black Sheep, yeah. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And what did we do, Chris? We left. We left. <laughs> we left because we were a bit tired and we had copy to file. Yeah, yeah that's we how we, we roll. left after about three songs. Yeah, I think rock um, and roll. Yeah, I know. I'll tell you about it. Uh, I don't know. My my favorite combo. Uh, I'm a huge REM fan, so I'd quite like to see Man in the Moon followed by an REM show, especially since it would reunite them. But uh, I don't really know. I mean, watching Star Wars followed by John Williams and Co. doing the uh, the music with a massive orchestra would be would be phenomenal. I always loved that they did that at the uh, the premieres of the Star Wars films, where they had the the Imperial March and stuff playing when people go down the red carpet. That's really that's, yeah. You know, I never got, I never went. To I did that. I had a, I had a ticket to the uh, Revenge of the Sith premiere. I I gave Attack of the Clones. Five stars, and I still didn't get invited to the premiere of Revenge of the Sith. What, but what a but a quid pro quo, George. Yeah, honestly, that's a bit harsh. <sighs> Unbelievable. That is a bit harsh. Unbelievable. Right, that's, but, been, uh, that's uh, been redacted. Will Smith did a uh, uh, a Big Willie style concert at the iRobot premiere in Leicester Square. That was quite uh, quite a thing. I hear Jim Morrison used to do Big Willie style concerts. Back to the Future, followed by Hugh Lewis and the News. Uh, just mm. that would delight me in many ways. That'd uh, be awesome. That. That'd be awesome. Nev. Mm, Butch and Sundance, followed by Burt Bacharach. Interesting, interesting. I'm old, or I'm yes. like you know, prematurely middle-aged. So, is Butch and Sundance a big movie for you? Oh, it's one of my favourite shows. I adore it. So, how do you react to the the fact that it was given three stars in the most recent issue of Empire Magazine? It's the first thing I've audibly sworn out on the train in a long time. <laughs> did you write in? Did you write in and complain next week when he's back? Yeah. Honestly, if you don't like Butch and Sundance, I really probably just best off never speaking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Who? So that's good, yeah. You know, Empire's really authoritative, giving one of the best films of all time three stars. Whoa, who wrote, hey, this? Who wrote this review? Come on, should we pillory them live? Ian, Ian Nathan. It was Ian. Yeah. Ian Nathan. The, well, that's that's surprising. I, yeah. I'm surprised it doesn't. It's like, like it. 120th on a hard top 500 ever best ever movies ever list. You can defend him all you want. I'm never speaking to him again. <laughs> it's probably a win-win situation. You're filling in from this week because he's away. Yeah. But uh, so you're going to reverse that decision. You're going to use the power that you're wielding now. I'm going to get the magazine reprinted. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can go with uh, some Tipex. Yeah, uh, Tipex 200,000 yeah. uh, copies of Empire. Uh, okay, right. Now that's that controversial moment is out of the way. Let's have an interview, shall we? Uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, it was announced that Homeland star Damien Lewis would be teaming up with Andrea Riseborough for the windswept romance The Silent Storm. It's set in Scotland. I went along on a suitably windy day to have a chat with Lewis and the film's writer-director, Corinna McFarlane. Uh, Apologies, though, if the sound quality on this is slightly shonky. We're doing it outdoors, and I can't control the wind. What am I, storm, for God's sake? Anyway, here's an interview. Welcome to Cannes. How's your Cannes been? Is it a flying visit, literally flying visit for you both? Um, yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be back. You announced the, uh, the Silent Storm. What is a Silent Storm? So the Silent Storm is a tempestuous romance set on the Western Isles of Scotland in the 50s. Is it? <laughs> I was wondering. I, have, have I, you not no, read it? I read it a couple of times. I've still got no idea. Yeah, um, you know, he's, he's a sort of Klaus Kinski-type Fitzcarraldo character. And so, you know... The but I was the best available. No, well, actually, you weren't <laughs> so. available, you bugger. You were on Homeland. And so we, we were all really... We cried into our tea. And then we got this phone call saying there was this hiatus... 
and that we could have we could get our hands on him and in that moment we totally pounced on you and basically we've i've not let you go ever since so here he is <laughs> our, our leading so man um happily pounced on yeah because <laughs> uh, damien you, you do get a hiatus from homeland but uh, i guess can you fit two movies into that hiatus or is just one don't you leave this one ever again but you have to be very very careful about the movies you pick so what was it about this one that, that, that drew you to that um yeah uh, I, I do have to be careful about what i pick <laughs> and also actually because i've got two very small children and a wife at home and i it takes a lot to get me out of the house actually to get you there's nothing worse than um feeling you're wasting your time spending two months somewhere in a car park in Lithuania you know doing a piece of art which turns out not to be that artistic and you know and you're not with your family so I thought it was a beautifully written script I just thought it was a, a beautifully written script and I think um, I like the fact that even though it's a small independent film mm. uh, which is very contained happens largely in one place uh, and that it's um, and it's an intimate character piece as you might expect from a small independent film yeah but it's got this it's got this epic quality to it it's got it's got this vastness to it um and i don't mean that just in the landscape i mean that emotionally and um but i also mean i do also mean visually and in that sense you know i think karina wouldn't mind me saying she borrowed heavily from bergman and herzog which are let's face it uh, some of the best people to borrow from um, but and but I think you know whereas Berg, Bergman can be sometimes relentlessly bleak yeah or or just philosophical so you don't you, you sometimes don't come away feeling from it but you feel challenged intellectually I think this has a great um, I think it has a lot of heart. It has a great, it has great heart, but it also has something which you find very little in cinema nowadays, which is which is ecstasy and ecstatic quality. And by that, I mean that it not only tries to achieve a real sense of hope at the end of it, but it something redemptive and something something that escalates and transcends and becomes crescendos and becomes mm. becomes a, a, a sort of a rainbow, to use a of analogy so um and i think that's you know given that our tradition at home has been for the last 20 or 30 years either sort of gr a gritty urban realism or mm. stick people in wigs and a corset um <laughs> or both it's, um, you know. or sometimes <laughs> both does that happen sometimes both, both. it probably uh, has and ever since we gordon brown freed up all those um freed up money for yeah. for people to for, for, for tax schemes to come out of the city at the beginning of sort of 2000, 2001. Uh, unsuccessfully, in my view, it meant that lots of people were making movies, but we tried to make a, a new kind of British movie, which was, uh, you know, the sort of the entertaining, Amer more American-style movie. And we just found out that we just really didn't do it very well, not mm. nearly as well as the Americans, certainly. And so I think this, this movie sits somewhere else entirely. It, it's attempting something a bit more poetic, a bit more mythical, um, in the style of those movies of the 60s and 70s which were the two of the great decades of mm. filmmaking so if we can get anywhere near that <laughs> we'll, we'll do all right. then we'll be okay <laughs> i mean it's you know i mean who's afraid of virginia wolf you know 
um, Liz, Liz Taylor and Richard Burton. I mean, you know, Damien Lewis and Andrew Riseborough for me are two powerhouse actors. You know, actors who are in it for all the right reasons, all about the work, all about art, about feeling, about catharsis, you know. For, and, for the and craft services. I'm in it. <laughs> I am in it. I, I just want to make that clear now. If I don't have good craft services. Oh, believe me, I, I know. I, I like on a surface, it's, if it's not good, I'm not going to start yeah, off right away. I believe. If I can't start my day with Krispy Kremes, I'm unhappy. <laughs> and I know that, you know, there will be fireworks, you know, and hopefully a few whiskeys. <laughs> I'll just refer you back to the craft services. There will be, there will be fireworks. If I don't get... I don't think I've ever seen whiskey in a craft services. Uh, well, fan. You'll, you'll Do you have your own? Be, there'll be a lot of island whiskey. <laughs> Is that part of your rider? Is that uh, you insisting now that it's uh, a whiskey tent? Well, we're going to be in the Western Isles. We're going to be surrounded by Isley whiskey, aren't we? It'd be lovely if we get a hold of some Bowmore and some Talisker. And mm. well, in fact, uh, we're going to have a lovely old time up there. <laughs> and <I> Gaviscon. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just going to be, we're just going to need fucking bottles, bottles of Gaviscon lined up <laughs> at craft services. Down in one, down in Terrible. one, absolutely. Um, but uh, going back to the character you're, you're playing, Damien, it sounds like there's a lot there to get your, your teeth into. And I'm, I'm guessing yeah, it's perhaps... An it's an acting piece. It, yeah. it, it absolutely is, but it, it's an acting piece and a, and, and a, and a director's piece. I don't, I don't say this lightly. You don't read very many good scripts. Karina's written a really fantastic script. We've all just got to go make it yeah. now and, and realise its potential. That's obviously the, that's the hard bit. Mm. So... Um, uh, but I think I think what I think what what the movie posits is a crumbling community from a bygone era mm. um, in a in an extremely puritanical a Presbyterian community in the west coast of Scotland that hasn't really changed since mid nineteenth century, and they're leaving this place uh, because work has dried up and they're going to the mainland, and at the centre of the story is a is a man who is um, who is hewn from the rock itself. He's he's of that place. He's of a different he era. He yeah, built he built it, and he's a, yeah, and he's a man. He's a man who, sadly, actually, although he doesn't realise himself, he comes to realise it through the film. He's unable to express himself freely, openly and sensually mm. because of the strictures of his religion mm. because he's placed his entire faith his entire being in the hands of his god mm. and opposite him is this woman who represents the opposite who represents everything that is sensual free free-spirited loving and she giving washed up from the sea <laughs> and who and who has come from another place okay and this represents the conflict at the center of the movie Absolutely. and the, and, and she is crushed, finally. She is crushed by him during the course of the movie. And with the help of this introduction of this third character, who is a sort of a shape-shifting character, to use an archetype, comes in, affects change in their relationship. He then realises that he has to change, or at least is never going to achieve happiness the way he is and allow her to be happy the way she is, and he releases her. And so there is a catharsis at the end. Okay. And they are all released into their, own, into their own worlds again, into their own selves. Yeah. But they travel a journey. And that might all sound a bit highfalutin, 
but it's, it's but it's genre. but it's mm. a, it's what it's what gives it it's it's what gives it its poetic breath. It's what gives it its air and its space. The film, which is going to be hard to achieve, but if if we can all pull it off, we'll be we'll just be unlike what we're used to seeing. Mm. Uh, so in, in certainly in British film, and yeah. that will be that will just be rather joyful. I think. As you know, I'm making this uh, little TV show at the moment called Homeland. I'm aware of it. And, uh, you know, the, the world... Well, what you, it won't surprise you, because uh, this is what you do. But, you know, <laughs> films, things come together in the 11th hour yeah. all the time. Yeah. And it's always a bit kick-bollock scramble. And as long as you are sort of emotionally ready, Karina clearly is ready. She's been living with this for two, three, three years. years yeah. She's absolutely ready to go. And she's sharing her vision of it with me and others. And so we're getting ourselves into a state of readiness as well. But you've, you've played a Scotsman before, I mean. Yeah, but I'm not just talking about the accent. No, I'm no, talking about thing, yeah. I'm talking about inhabiting a role. This isn't, I, I'm not someone that, it doesn't sit very easily with me jumping from job to job to job. I like no. space between my jobs in order to, in order to sort of empty of one character, empty mm. one character out, and then the reservoir needs to fill back up again, and and then you need time just to. I, I'm heading for Sood's Corner, aren't I? Then I need to bathe <laughs> in the reservoir of my new character, um, and um, so. But I, I, I'm someone who needs that time and space. So, um, so I will be using the next five or six weeks yeah. to do that, and it will be tight. Not going to lie to you either. There is the question of the accent, but there's also a question of. There's a lot of reading to do, not least the, the, the good book itself, which okay. actually, for a role like this, yeah. it's imperative that I get through quite a large chunk of the Old Testament. It's absolutely innate to this man. So that must happen. Oh, Got a bedtime reading. <laughs> I've got the Quran in yeah, one hand, hand. I've got the Bible in the other. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so but, but I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not being, uh, I, I don't, I'm not being glib. You know. Yeah. Uh, do accents come easy to you? Because obviously, I think you must have experiences in the states. Do a lot of people come up to you and are, are they surprised when they find out that you're British? Is people who, sorry, I'm spitting everyone today. <laughs> people right. who don't know me so well uh, still think I'm an American. But if it starts to sound a bit jawdy, uh, I'm sure I'll be told. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. we'll have, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have a go. We're going to have a go. But I have played, uh, you know, I've got Scottish family. Um, my father-in-law actually is a Glaswegian, so okay. which is the right side of the country. Uh-huh. This actually, oddly, actually I have an opportunity to say this now. So people don't think I'm sounding Welsh when I'm not supposed to be. But this Western <laughs> Isles accent has a unique. very particular lilt to it that at times sounds oddly Welsh. Okay. Has sort of Welsh sounding musicality in it. And, okay. it's, and it's quite... And it's quite uh, but of course, you know, in Breaking the Waves... And also very Nordic. Yeah. Lots of rolling R's and all that. That's how I'm going to sound like it sounds great. Last nice take preview, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank Damien. you. Thank you. Thanks very Lovely much. Cheers. You. Thank you. There you go. I've had a thought. How about Damien Lewis for the doctor? There's never been a redhead doctor. He's a bit busy at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, but you know, homeland. You know, being a terrorist and stuff. It films during the other part of the year, and he can do Doctor Who and being some, well, some being time. a time lord. It's yeah. not really a problem for him. No, well, yeah, I'm not saying that they imbued the actors with real time lordy powers, but I'm just saying that you know, Homeland doesn't film the entire year round, so he could do both. I'm not his agent. I'm not speaking to him, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm just saying. There's a, there's a, been a huge taboo 
No red-headed doctor. I think we should do. We should break that. Rupert Grint. You're all with me. I can see. Uh, okay, movie news time. Go team. What do you have? I was written down here. What do you have, Nick? But Nick's not here, so I don't know what to do. Um, James, you've right. got nothing for me, have you? I have absolutely nothing for you, having been drafted at the last minute. Okay. And recently survived a fire. You're an idiot. I've got, um, okay. I've got something we can talk about, if you want to talk about it, which is Mila Jovovich has been earmarked for an Expendables 3 casting-type job. There's a lot of kind of rumoured, sly-making, suggestive tweets, not that way, um, on his Twitter <laughs> account. Oh my uh, gosh. Where he's, he's, been, he's been mentioning Nick Cage <clears throat> and Jackie Chan and Wesley Snipes just kind of going, oh, well, they're great actors and mm, they seem free now and wouldn't that be cool? So, you know, none of this is actually confirmed, but if you are happy with the concept advanced negotiations, then Miljovic is in advanced negotiations to appear in Expendables 3. How, how, how are you getting in Miljovic before Cynthia Rothrock? There is something wrong there. But Wesley Snipes, you're a huge fan, so that would I am, really... I am. Yes, no. I'm a big fan of Wesley, and I think it's great that he's going to be in it. But yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeing Mili Jovovich. I mean, yes, she, she has been in Resident Evil films. I do not, however, associate her uh, with being a bastion of the action genre. Really? Yeah. I think she can handle herself. I think she's a really good actress as well. I think she's. Really I know she is. I've nothing against her whatsoever. It's just that there's, there's a gag, really, isn't it? The Expendables is at this point quite a tired gag. Mm. Uh, that these are the, you know, the, the pinnacles of action of yesteryear being old and fat and come out of retirement to come and, you know, kill people. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and I'm not sure that fits, you know. Mm. Michael Dudikoff, yes. Cynthia Rothrock, yes. These are the people I want to see. Mm. Yeah, precisely. I think I'm with you. Okay, that's interesting. Nev, what about you? What you got? Your first news story in the podcast. Uh, well, we're going to be talking about Soderbergh <laughs> later on. Yeah, <laughs> my first and last. Talking about Stephen Soderbergh later on with Behind the Candelabra, which is his last theatrical feature, at least released in Europe. And he's off doing other things now, painting, photography, mm. and he's launched a website called Extension uh, 765, okay. which I think is the number that Harrison Ford calls in the conversation. Um, I may be wrong. Someone will indeed write in and correct me if I am. Mm -hmm. And he's selling memorabilia from the movies. He's selling movie-related T-shirts, which he's designed. At some point, he's going to sell some kind of spirit that he's imported from South America, I think. It's open, it's open now, this website, yeah? Yeah. Extension seven six five. Yeah, extension seven six five dot com. Dot com. So you're you're looking this up live this on the on the podcast. A live look. Yeah, this is amazing. Nev, keep talking while I'm buying stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I tried to buy something, um, but you can't if you're out of America as it stands. Oh um, man, that sucks. and I wrote in saying, you know, can we? Uh, can I? Can I buy something? They wrote that saying there's a no journalist rule, which I thought was very harsh. But it looks very nice. It's a very, very clean and well-designed website. Uh, and the memorabilia like stuff is pretty cool. And all the charity, all the proceeds are going to charity. Yeah, he so. doesn't. Yeah, it's an auction thing, isn't it? So yeah, like the clapperboard from Traffic and things like that. It's a good German cap, which is what I want. It's, tw it's only twenty-five dollars. You can get that and then get it delivered to James White. Mm, I'll do that. That's what I do whenever yeah. I, I buy stuff from the states. Uh, wow, that's interesting. So same, same goes for all the listeners. Extens yes, yes. If you, jelly stand <laughs> stuff for Empire Freelance James White, <laughs> yeah. who has now been name checked on another podcast. He was quite excited the first time. Really? Yeah. Oh, the, oh, I thought you meant another podcast, as in another podcast besides. Yes, he's, podcast. he's turning up in podcasts all yeah, over the world. And how, how did they, how did that get made or whatever? Uh, that's an interesting website. Thank you, Neville. Um, another couple of uh, interesting news stories. It looks like Fables, which is one of my favorite comic books, is maybe going to come to the big screen yes. with the director of Royal Engagement and. Uh, Nikolai Arcel, um, who's in talks to uh, bring that one to the cinemas. That this is the um, the very interesting comic book by uh, Bill Willingham. Essentially, reimagines fairy tale characters, but in the real world. If you if you think you've heard that premise before, it's obviously the premise of Grimm and Once Upon a Time, the TV shows that are that are on. More Once Upon a Time. More Once but, Upon yeah. a Time, and that's a slightly maybe. But 
Yeah. You might argue they ripped off fables quite badly. You so, might yes. argue that, but I'm sure the, the legal Yes, <laughs> people but we, will, wouldn't, we would not yeah. argue that on we would, a broadcast podcast. We would not podcast. argue that. No, no. we wouldn't. Uh, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's a fantastic book. Um, uh, do go and check it out uh, if you can. Go down your local comic store. It's got Snow White, Cinderella, uh, Little Boy Blue, Jack Horner, all sorts of stuff in there. It's it's, it's uh, really, really good. And there's a game coming out. I don't know how year. they're going to do it as a film. I really don't. I think this I think this deserves to be an HBO series, but we shall see. Depends what they're doing, because the game, uh, which is the, the... You know what? I completely forgot the name of it, but it's about the big bad wolf, Bixby. Uh, and the idea is that it's before set before the comics, uh, and he's a kind of private investigator. Bigby Wolf, yeah. Uh, indeed. Mm. Uh, and... Um, that's that's quite a bit. They've taken a sort of a very lo-fi, sort of microscopic look at the at the world, rather than trying to tackle the whole thing. Another interesting story is that uh, the Imitation Game, which is one of the best scripts, uh, unmade scripts in Hollywood. Uh, I never think you've read the script, haven't it's you? Terrific script, yeah. yeah. Uh, by Graham Moore was actually I think number one in the blacklist, uh, not last year but the year before. Uh, still hasn't been made yet, but it's had Benedict Cumberbatch attached to it for some time, along with the director Morton Tilden, and uh, now Kieran Knightley's in talks to co-star. And this is a story now. You can take this one up. Um, it's the um, I've now completely forgotten everything it's about Alan Turing Alan Turing Alan yeah. Turing um, who basically invented the computer more or less mm-hmm. um, but was also persecuted for uh, being gay and um, it's an extraordinary story I think Cumberbatch is perfect casting for it and I'm really excited to see it, it is a, it's a brilliant script it's very rare that you read a script which moves you uh, to tears maybe I just had when I was in an emotionally fragile place but um, I thought it was um, it's wonderful and I, I can't wait and he is I think perfect for it that's interesting because DiCaprio was attached, wasn't he, or very loosely attached? Uh, I think maybe more as a producer whenever the the script was first picked up. Uh, yeah, he was. There was talk that he might be playing Turing, but that doesn't seem to be well, obviously it's not the case now. I'd like to see him play some movie style roles rather than tortured real life people. I'm a little bit tired of seeing him frown. Yeah, remember that. You know, I, well, I guess Gatsby is a little bit of a combination of both, isn't it? It's a tortured guy, but also looks like a movie star. He look, you know, he's one, <laughs> he's one of the, the most handsome men on the planet, and sometimes he doesn't really play up to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you look, catch me if you can. I think his his most underrated performance and one of his best films. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there we go. Uh, anything else, no, uh, Ali? One last quick one as we're doing a lot of Who stuff. Uh, Karen Gillan has been cast as a baddo in Guardians of the Galaxy. The amazing grab bag of different actors and actresses being involved in this movie is it's quite extraordinary. Uh, who have we had so far, Chris? Well, Benicio Del Toro was added to the cast this week as well. Uh, there's the likes of Glenn Close, which is very, very interesting. Chris Pratt from Parks and Recreation, which is great to see. He's going to be the lead in the in the, uh, in the the film. Uh, Zoe Saldana is in it as well. Michael Rooker, which you might expect, given that it's a James Gunn film, and Michael Rooker is very much like his Bruce Campbell in a, in a weird way. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see this movie come together. It, is, it has one of the most bonkers casts for a major movie, I cannot stress enough how much uh, how much I'm uh, admire Marvel for taking this risk. Uh, you know, people say that you know it, it would be so easy for them just to pump out Thor's and Iron Man's and Captain America's until the cows come home, but they're they're taking a real gamble with this one. And people I, are talking about Benicio del Toro off. as possibly Thanos. Yeah, is that because I, I kind of muted that in the office yesterday, just as a kind of oh maybe, but a bit of a perfect joke. But is that actually something people are saying now? It's something people are saying because they go, well, he would make a great bad guy, and you know who is actually going to play Thanos. And the fact that there's a multiple multiple film contract in place for uh, Benicio del Toro, which you know indicates that he's going to be showing up in other movies as well. Maybe I know that's, that's also slightly standard Marvel practice, but it, it could well show that Thanos, who we expect to be the bad guy in Avengers two, or one of the bad guys in Avengers two could well be in this movie as well. I also, He's got the face for it. I also think John C. Riley is uh, 
in on this cast as well. Yes, so just add that to the incredibly long list of who the what is going on here. But yeah, uh, if you're looking for something totally different, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to offer that. Yeah, the story I'm not very familiar with. It. I mean, my Marvel knowledge is you know X Men. There's this yeah. raccoon. Essentially, and he has a rocket. Say no more. Yeah, no, essentially, there's, there's a, they're, in, they're an intergalactic space core team, if you will, led by a talking raccoon called, and I'm not kidding, Rocket Raccoon, <laughs> uh, who has a massive gun. And I don't think that character's been cast yet. There was also some it's, spectation that it could be Benicio del Toro doing the voice, but somehow I don't think so. Uh, and, but the very fact that uh, Chris Pratt, who's playing a, a human guy who uh, gets cast into space and then becomes this character called Star Lord, and he'll be our way into the uh, to the movie, I'd imagine. So Sadana is an alien. Uh, called uh, Gamora and there's uh, also a guy called Drax the Destroyer in there he's played by Dave Bautista is that, is that correct Ali? Indeed Yeah yes. and uh, it's just a, an interesting Star Wars-y type canvas for Marvel to play with but the fact that Chris Pratt's on board as the lead the fact that James Gunn is the director and it's got a very very eclectic cast a lot of whom are naturally funny people leads me to believe this is going to be more comedic uh, in fact, you have a talking raccoon with a gun. You can't play you, it straight. Yeah, you can't play it. Well, I, I imagine they'll play bits of it straight, but it, it much depends. Well, on the, the comic story isn't particularly played for laughs, to be perfectly honest. I mean, no, I've true. not never sat down and read Guardians of the Galaxy, apart from where it's been sort of crossed over in, in larger Marvel events. Um, and it, it's I've always found the juxtaposition. I found it. I found it a slightly odd sell uh, with all the different aliens and the races, and it's it's a little bit. Weird, yeah, a little bit. Although the, you know the whole Infinity Gauntlet thing, just going on to Thanos, all the space stuff works if done on an epic scale. Absolutely, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they they pull that one off. Uh, and that's it for the news section. Don't forget the new issue of Empire is still on sale. It has Wolverine on the cover, written by Nev. It has World's End, written by me. Thor, written by Dan Jolin, Steven Soderbergh. Uh, his exit interview, one of his last ever interviews. Uh, Kickass, Bruce Lee, and much, 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 much more. All for just three pounds ninety nine, which is better than a crack in the head with a broken table lamp. I've, I've, I've read uh, okay time for another interview Michael Shannon has long been one of the best supporting actors in Hollywood but over the last couple of years he's made the transition to lead roles with performances in the likes of Take Shelter and this week's The Iceman in which he plays a family man and loving husband who just happens to be one of the most notorious hitmen in the history of the US so here it is get ready to kneel before sod you insects it's Michael Shannon very pleased to be joined by Michael Shannon in the Empire Podcast Michael thank you for taking the time no problem the Iceman. We were sort of talking about it earlier and, and wondering about that kind of, this character, Richard Kuklinski. Mm-hmm. He has an amazing kind of dichotomy between this kind of loving family family man mm-hmm. and this hardened kind of sociopathic contract killer. Yes. Was that where the appeal lay for you straight away? Capturing that kind of duality? Well, yeah, it certainly uh, is a complicated balance or story to try and tell you know i don't know if it was as cut and dried i'm I'm sure there were times at home where his inner demons came to the surface it may not be quite as either or as it is in the movie yeah i just i I just found him a very compelling figure from seeing the interviews that he did uh, for hbo and i definitely think that the fact that he tried to to have this this family life uh just made it a more interesting story to tell. Um, I think if he would have just been a loner uh, who just killed people, it wouldn't really be much <laughs> of, a, of a story there. Yeah, yeah. He's not Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, is he? There's he kind of he's not. He, he there's moments where you think he's going to lose his temper and he reins it back in. Yeah. 
Well, he's 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 struggling to, you know. I think he grew up in very trying circumstances. I think his parents were both pretty malicious uh, people and didn't treat him very kindly. And uh, I think it's pretty classic to see somebody trying to be better uh, or a better person than uh, than maybe what they were shown when they were brought up. Yeah. But, uh, but he can't get rid of the of this rage that he has. No matter how many times he, you know, quote unquote, goes to work, it never seems to uh, satisfy this desire he has for quenching his his rage. And when you're doing something like that, does, does sort of gallows humor take a big part in that? How how do you kind of get through the day when you're doing that kind of intense work? There there was some humor on the set, uh, particularly with uh, with Chris Evans. Uh, he he brought. I don't know if humor is the right word, but he—I mean—he brought a real sense of uh, playfulness to the proceedings. Uh, Ray Liotta uh, was quite funny sometimes. He would <laughs> say some things to catch people off guard. He was a lot of fun to work with. Uh, and th- and how did you find the kind of the facial furniture and the? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, that's a lot to deal with. The poor, <laughs> the poor guy who was responsible for doing my makeup uh, did not get a lot of uh, prep time. I was coming uh, straight off of Man of Steel, and uh, literally, I showed up a couple of days before I was supposed to start shooting, and we had to try and figure out all these different looks, and uh, it was very, very challenging because I think it's important because I think Richard kind of made a conscious effort to kind of always look slightly different Mm -hmm. to keep changing the way he looked i mean obviously because of what he did he wanted to uh i mean he could never be you know completely anonymous or incognito but when you look at photos throughout his life he always he just always looked a little bit different all the time which makes a lot of sense i don't know if you have movember in america Mm. No interest in that in the future. No. Whatsoever. No, I can't, you know... I'd sponsor you. you <laughs> I'm not actually very uh, successful when it comes to uh, growing my own facial hair. Um, it takes quite a long time for me to have anything that you could call a mustache. It comes in very slowly. So this in the film was all fake, and it had to be because... We were constantly bouncing around between the beginning, the end, you know, sometimes within the span of one day, I'd have three or four different looks, so yeah. it was all over the place. Do you see sort of Revolutionary Road as a kind of a turning point for you? Because from, from a, uh, critically, I think that's when most people would have spotted you. Well, it was a, it was a huge deal for me to get that job. Uh, and at the time I got that job, I I actually had had a kind of a rough stretch where I wasn't really working very much and um, I was kind of broke and I was with my uh, girlfriend out in San Diego she was doing a play in San Diego and uh, and I drove up to LA for the audition yeah it was it was a really big deal because she had she had given me uh, the book as a present and I was just knocked out by the book so I, I read in the newspaper that they were making a movie out of the book and I called my agent and said, you know, why haven't I heard about it? I got to mm. go in on this. And uh, 
so it, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of luck involved in that whole. If she hadn't given me the book, if I hadn't seen that newspaper, yeah, I probably it would have gone over my head. And you auditioned yeah. for the role of John Givens. I did, yeah. I mean, I think at the time they <clears throat> they offered me the choice of either reading for Shep, which is the part David Harbour wound up playing, the kind of jealous husband next door, or John. And, you know, honestly, Shep is just a more prevalent character. I mean, he's in more of the movie. But uh, I think anybody who reads the book kind of falls in love with John Givings, so... I elected to read for that part, yeah. And there's a story that when you were at the Oscars, you were drinking G&Ts and doing English accents with... <laughs> is that true? Uh, English accents with Kate Winslet. Yeah, yeah, it was a very brief thing. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know, yeah, I, I really have to struggle to... Uh, it's really not any good, I mean... <laughs> Do you have a trigger word? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Crikey we'll see. is good. <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> <laughs> What does crikey actually mean? I don't know. It's just an exclamation. Yeah. It's just, it? yeah. 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 I don't know. What do we, we say it when we're not quite sure what, what to say? Yeah, right. <laughs> punctuation. But you have a, a godson in West London, I read, who's an avid QPR fan. Is he, uh, yeah, is he in need of consolation at the moment? Oh, gee. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm seeing him on Saturday night. But, uh, yeah, he took me to a match. Uh, I, think the, I think the word is uh, derby? derby. Derby, uh, yeah. Derby. Yeah, yeah. Derby. Between uh, QPR and Chelsea, oh, right? Ooh. Yeah, they and really at, hate each other at the yeah. QPR's uh, pitch stadium yep. field. And uh, I we sat on the corner, and I basically spent the, most of the game watching people making uh, death threats to to one another across the uh, the little the little corner there, point at each other, and then point at the parking lot and then like put a gun <laughs> up to their head and uh or a knife across the throat it's what we call a hobby in this country <laughs> so well, hopefully it's cathartic i mean do they feel better afterwards i think a different sort of angry probably <laughs> <laughs> um we talked about the breakthrough that was revolutionary row but you'd also had you know early experience with in the brookheimer juggernaut mm -hmm. two films with michael bay as well mm -hmm. were they were they big sort of signposts for you, for for your career, stuff you wanted to do, or stuff that you you didn't feel as comfortable with. Well, with Pearl Harbor, I did, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I mean, I had <laughs> never. Um, that was so beyond anything in terms of the scope of it. It was so beyond anything I had ever done before. I mean, half the time I just felt like I was uh, like at an amusement park or something. <laughs> I, it was um, very overwhelming, but the. It, it was it was also kind of bizarre because it's it's this huge movie that's meant to be tremendously entertaining and it's based on this incredibly traumatic event in our country's history and we were we spent a month basically recreating Pearl Harbor yeah. at Pearl Harbor walk by certain buildings and still see you know bullet holes from the strafing from the actual incident and uh uh, it was pretty profound history lesson for me just being there. I once I went up in one of the little planes, and we flew over the Arizona. And you could see, you could look out the window, and you could see 
like if you're down on the ground there's a little bridge and you can walk out and you can still see the oil bubbling up but from this plane you could see the entire ship sunken in the water and it was one of the most I'll never forget that as long as I live it was horrifying and spellbinding at the same time but yeah then it turned into this you know giant Hollywood blockbuster and uh and then uh, Bad Boys 2 was a whole different <laughs> ball game. We didn't have the onus of history or, <laughs> or actual reality. Or, you know, well, it did kind of tap into the whole kind of Ku Klux Klan thing a little bit, didn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, was, I was on the fence about that one. Uh, my manager at the time insisted that I do it. You know, he kept saying this was going to be one of the biggest movies ever and you should do it and uh, I mean in a way he was right because for a very long time maybe even to this day um, it is one of the films I'm most recognized for that and 8 Mile so and it, it was fun to get to spend that time with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and listen to them I enjoyed watching them as much as I enjoyed actually doing the job but uh and i also enjoyed being in miami that was nice yeah. <laughs> and we're right in thinking that one of your early roles was in your have a role in groundhog day mm -hmm. right? yeah that's what? how i got into the uh union can you remember your line from groundhog day wrestlemania <laughs> he gives me tickets for wrestlemania right at the end yeah yeah i think your line is thank you mr connors you're a real pal well, I do scream WrestleMania. <laughs> you do. Yeah. It's very weird because I was at the uh, Deauville Film Festival like a couple of years ago with a movie called The Return that I made with Linda Cardellini. And Linda and Bill are really good friends. And Bill came to the festival with them. And I had no idea that he was going to be there. And I, we were in the we were powdering our noses before the screening started and I kept going back and forth like should I say anything or there's no way he's going to remember such a long time ago but I finally broke down and said uh, Mr. Murray uh, we've actually worked together he just says oh yeah well, what did we do I said well I was in Groundhog Day and you gave me the Wrestlemania tickets he's like oh yeah yeah I remember you yeah how, how, how's it going I don't even think he knew I was in the movie he was about to see, uh, but um, that was uh, that was pretty wild to see him all those years later. We actually wound up hanging out that night till three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> He's impossible to reach. Like, yeah. yeah, he has no phone or agent. Yeah, smart man. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you feeling about Man of Steel? in terms of what it would do for your career and in terms of being uh, subject to fan attention? Hmm. Well, I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm excited about the movie. I think it's... Um, I got to see it a couple of weeks ago and I think it's real good. I mean, I was pretty giddy sitting there watching it. Um, I don't know really what to expect. Uh... I don't like totally enjoy having 
random conversations on the street with complete strangers. Because <laughs> um, I feel like ultimately a lot of times there really isn't much to talk about. But, um, but uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends uh, that I came up with in Chicago that are still, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to pay the rent. So uh, I just consider myself very lucky that I don't have to worry about that. And and how have you, did you think about sort of making General Sod plausible? I think that's one of the sort of Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan's take is that this is a plausible version of the story. How did you think about that? Well, it's, uh, just I started with the job title, you know, he's a general and and we have those on Earth too, fortunately, so I can kind of study what that means to be a general and try and think about the the ramifications of being in that position um, and think about the crisis that uh, you know that is happening on Krypton and um, I mean I just uh, I just tried to stay away from uh, the notion that he was some sort of villain and just focus on the fact that he wants to to save his planet which is very <coughs> easy to understand. J.J. You know? Abrams has been talking about this, with this a lot in terms of Star Trek, in terms of every villain thinks they're a hero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, he would... He, 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 I think he looks at himself as a servant more than anything. I mean, he's... he want, All he wants is for Krypton to, to thrive and... Uh, and he'll do anything to to make that happen. I mean, you know, that's one of the things about the film is that, or the story of the film is that people on Krypton are literally engineered to do certain things. So it's in their blood. I mean, it's it's not even a choice on his part. It's what he was made to do. So he can't help himself. Did you... um? I mean, were you a comic book reader growing up as a kid? And have you gone back and, and found anything particularly helpful from the DC comics? Uh, I didn't read comics growing up. I had um, some cousins that did, that collected them. They lived out in the country. And uh, when I would visit them, I would look at their collections. But they were they were pretty dyed-in-the-wool Marvel guys. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I guess more than anything, my experience as Superman was was the the first films that they made, which I saw and made an impression on me, you know. But um, yeah, I've, I I get frustrated reading comic books. Uh, I've I feel like uh, uh, the 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 narrative is not totally fleshed out a lot of times because it's basically it's more of a visual experience I mean what you're really geeking out on I think is the the artwork and uh, and I appreciate the artwork but as an actor it's not really mm. gonna help me do anything so I just look more at uh, at the script you know uh, the, that David Goya wrote and it's a phenomenal script and and I just used that as the template for what I was doing. 
Michael, thank you very much for coming and talking to us. It's Thanks been a real for pleasure. Me. Thank yeah. you. Fun. Well, that was Michael Shannon, and this is Phil Desemlian, who has popped in. He's parachuted in to replace Nev Pierce, who's had to go off, off to a screening. Hello, Phil. It strikes me by, by coming into a podcast halfway through that you miss my art house introduction gags. Uh, is this a regular thing that's going to happen from now on? Yep. Damn it. Damn it. Yep. Anyway, you're here for the reviews. I didn't actually parachute in, by the way. No, you didn't. You didn't, because uh, we're on the third floor and there's loads of floors up above and you couldn't do that. Logistically speaking, it would be difficult. Uh, but anyway, let's start with the reviews and let's start with the Iceman. We just uh, heard Michael Shannon, uh, lovely man, playing a, an ice-cold killer in this one. How, how is it? Just to set the scene, this is a film about a contract killer. He was actually a Polish guy and his, his nickname in the mafia community was Polak. Um, and he came to get this term, the Iceman, because he was a ice-blooded contract killer. He doesn't even know how many people he's killed. I think we talk about that in the interview. Michael Shannon is absolutely one of the most mesmerising screen performers at the moment. I think most people would agree he's phenomenal and he's the strongest thing in the film. Around it is something that's kind of brings back probably unfortunate memories of Goodfellas in that it isn't quite it doesn't have that energy and that fizz about it. Um, you see, I think the, the drama of the film lies in the uh, the the sort of the fact that he's out doing these killings and he's coming home to an owner rider and his family and he's playing the family man and somewhere in that kind of entering the household he changes identities and there's a psycho psycho psychological dimension to it that Shannon brings out really well in a kind of a, a passive internalized way he has this amazing I mean he's a six foot five Michael Shannon he's this amazing kind of brooding phys- physicality um, it's a 15 so it's not sort of uber violent you're not seeing mm-hmm. a lot of but it is there is nasty moments in it um, it's got a great cast it's it? got a great cast it's got Ray Liotta who who um, recently was in The Place Beyond the Pines as well playing the same sort of the same roles that we kind of love him for those shady shady characters he does so well um, it's got David Schwimmer looking in his 70s garb like a sort of Euro 96 David Seaman with a ponytail and really bad facial hair and leather jackets does he get lobbed uh, from- repeatedly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he does actually metaphorically get lobbed quite a lot in this film he's a slightly gormless kind of uh, sidekick almost to Kuklinski and so, he has so, fun with it so uh, Michael Shannon is naive from the halfway line in this one is, is that, <laughs> is that <laughs> so cool. we've just we've buried that we've buried that metaphor in the desert um, <laughs> the uh, Chris Evans as well unrecognisable from Captain America as uh, as another contract killer this film is full of contract killers it's a lot of killing in this film um, he drives an ice cream van in probably and hands out lollies to uh to uh, to kids um, and then you know it does it mines it for humour so you've got you know you've got him selling an ice lolly opening the freezer and there's like a dead body in there. Also, uh, Robert Davi in a role as and well. Robert Davi is great. Well. Robert Davi, yeah, exactly. Is, is he the Iceman? Because he could also be an double Ice Man. Double Ice Man, mm. serving out death sticks. Iceland, they could have called it. Yeah, death sticks. <laughs> a ninety-nine plate with a death stick. In the you top. don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. <laughs> you want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. Some dialogue there from the five-star rated Attack of the Clones. Everybody. Can we go 20 minutes without mentioning that film? That's twice I, in the I same can't. podcast. I know, I'm so sorry. Anyway, so sorry. this film is better than that film, in my humble opinion, but what? it's not... It's not. <laughs> wow, that should be a tagline. <laughs> this film is better than that film. Who stars the Iceman? <laughs> Next film. We covered it. Um, it it's, it's done, yeah. It's, as I say, it, it suffers from living in the shadows of Goodfellas. It very much, it's kind of that, it crosses that, that same time frame. It's a different different side of the whole kind of mafiosa structure, a different part of the of the US. Um, but it's a period piece that straddles a couple of decades. Shannon's great in it, but mm-hmm. it's it just lacks that little something. Yeah. Um, he's also a very, he's not a, 
as I say, he's a passive guy. He's not a charismatic person. And he, the character maybe can't carry the film, although the actor does, if you see what I mean. The book's good as well. The book on which the film is based is definitely well worth a read if you can pick it up a nice true crime uh, story. You think if you're going to be... You'd take a note, wouldn't you, of how many people you've killed somewhere? I mean, you'd lose track. Look, I don't. You'd lose track. Isn't there an app for it? <laughs> no, I don't see why I should. Well, there's people you're contracted to kill, and then there's the ones you do at the week end just to, you know, Look, keep I have your, a difficulty remembering to speak. invoice. That's maybe my bigger problem. That's the thing. Dreadful free. Uh, yeah, dreadful free. Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, national insurance is a bitch. Yeah. First person to make a snide remark about your hair, it was an accident. Second time, why would anyone make a snide remark about Ali's hair? It's beautiful. Because they're blind and stupid. Can I touch it? No. Okay, we should probably move on to the next one. Uh, the next film, that's three stars, isn't it, Phil? That's for three the, stars, Empire. For the Iceman? Okay. Better uh, than that film. It's better than that film. It's better than, uh, what was the other film? Oh, yeah, Attack of the Clones, that's right. Anyway, it's a big week this week. It features the last hurrah for one of the greatest directors in the world. That is, if we believe for a second that Steven Soderbergh is actually retiring. Uh, Side Effects, which was out March, was his last made-for-cinema movie. Mm-hmm. But his HBO movie, Behind the Kind of Labyrinth, which is about Liberace and his relationship with his young lover, Scott Thorson, played by Matt Damon, has been picked for cinematic release over here. It's on TV in the States. Cinema's over here. Uh, making this Soderbergh's swan song. Does he bow out? in style hell yes good this is me again I'm still rapping on my parachute I love this film it's so much fun and it's such a shame that he's not making any more uh, feature films for the time being he will yeah well I was lucky enough to sit down with him and have a a almost two hours of his time talking about where he's at and he does sound like he's the well is dry a little bit for feature films on a number of levels creatively and also his much publicised frustrations with the Hollywood system TV I think is where what excites him he's got other things happening so I think he'll come back eventually is my gut feeling because I know these things Um, but not for a while and this is a great great way to go out it's just a lot of fun it's if people don't know the story it's about this guy Scott Thorson played by Matt Damon who was Liberace's I think he calls him his son his best friend and his lover he kind of it's a deeply um, uh, screwed up relationship in, in many ways. It is. A, Freud would have Freud would have the yeah. clearest diary for this one. It's, there's so <laughs> many weird things happening in this, and there's there's. But again, you know, Soderbergh finds the humour in it, but without losing the pathos. And I think that's the key to this film. It's it's um, there's a lot of funny stuff, but you're not invited to laugh at it. It is a farce. You know, these are human beings and he's not taking the mickey. He's showing them as they were to the best of his abilities, but also, you know, making it an entertainment. So it opens with Liberace doing his thing. And, you know, everyone there, they're all grannies and none of them, none of them knew that he was gay. It or reminds, he had this. There's, there's that great line from Austin Powers where Austin finds out, you know, he's defrosted in the, uh, in the 1990s and he goes, who knew Liberace was gay? All the women loved him. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> That's exactly. That is exactly right. That's a good reference. It is exactly that thing. So we're we're privy to that gag in you know long which, form, which is astonishing when you look back on it with the benefit of hindsight, or for anyone who had sight back at the time. Wow! How I know, I know, and it's great. But you do see him doing it, you know, and and it's absurd the sort of level of ridiculous super extravagance of his show. Scott Thorson would drive his. Uh, what did he, he used to drive him onto stage in this in this kind of souped up <laughs> Bentley? <laughs> um, and then, and yeah. then um, you don't see the enemy doing that. Do you? You don't see <laughs> young indie bands of the day. You should start doing that, driving on the stage in the Bentley. Yeah, yeah. You can see Kasabian doing that. I can see that. Maybe in a little U boat or something. But my favourite thing about this film, probably without question, and, and pretty much any film I've seen this year is, is Rob Lowe as the yeah. plastic surgeon. He is hilarious. 
Um, his, his face, face is made up to look yeah. like he's addicted to plastic surgery and he's also a plastic surgeon. Is that right? He can't move his face. Amazing. He literally cannot emote or move his face. <laughs> well, what it's about the... No. Just genius. <laughs> it's just... I can't... I don't want to ruin it for people. I just go and see this film. It's, it's so much fun. Mm. It's... Uh, I remind me a little bit of Boogie Nights in the way that it all plays out without the third act carnage. It seems a shame because it's not going to get cinematically released in the States that it, it Douglas won't be up for an Oscar. Does he deserve one for this, do you think? A lot of people say Matt Damon as well is, yeah. is, is in a less showy role, does really, really well. Um, and uh, yeah, I think they both deserve some form of, but you know, Golden Globes, sorry, Emmys, Emmys possibly. Emmys. We'll see. It's yeah. sung great on HBO and uh, Soderbergh bowing out in style. Go see, four stars. Four stars indeed. Okay, now on to what is nominally the uh, biggest release of the week. After all, a movie starring Will Smith, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It's going to be huge. Well, not quite. Uh, After Earth opened to a disappointing $27 million in the States last weekend and is the biggest flop for Smith since Wild Wild West. Uh, much of the criticism of this futuristic sci-fi tale has focused on Smith himself and his real-life son, Jaden, who plays his son in this. There are soldiers who get stranded on Earth a thousand years into the future. But are people being fair? I mean, are they reviewing the actors and not the film, James? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think the criticism is fair in this particular case. Um, it's a bit of a vanity project, really, because it's a story that came about when Will Smith, uh, I believe he read a newspaper article, wasn't it, about a father-son who were in a plane crash, and he sort of reworked this idea into a sci-fi story and then brought it to, to night. It's very, very thin. I mean, charitably, you might say it's kind of an Aesop's fable sort of thing. It's a father-son uh, sort of bonding thing. It's about emotionally unavailable parents it's kind of a, a wilderness survival story it's a coming of age story but in reality it's a computer game um, <laughs> and it really is I mean the story is they crash on a planet he has to get from point A to point B and not die in between and this, that is the entire this story this is the kid because this the is the kid yeah so I, I, the, the, the child um, Jaden uh, Smith plays Katai the son uh, and Will plays his father the superbly named General Cypher Rage Cypher Rage <laughs> come on yeah um, and Took a long time um, thinking of that character name, didn't they? Indeed, uh, he's a he's a very uh, a very serious man, uh, a sort of a, a yeah. He's not hero. he's not Will Smith at all. In this, no, he? there's he doesn't so much a smile. He doesn't crack a joke. I mean, incredibly funny. He's got a big old cutlass up his ass. To be perfectly honest, does he make any uh, Will Smith? <laughs> No, no, there's there's no beeping, no 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 uh, <laughs> bellerisms. Uh, it really is. I mean, it's it's R2-D2? humorless to the point of tedium. Actually, I think. Okay. Uh, in times but he he sort of exists as a kind of um, just to continue the computer game metaphor Jaden sort of goes along his little adventure dodging baboons and giant eagles and things and Will Smith is a little voice in his ear because he communicates with him through this little headset and tells him what to do Katai you've been poisoned you must do this lie down try not to die so Katai is playing on an easy level yes and And Will Smith Smith. is the AI helper yes Um, but that's the entire story I mean and occasionally they'll bicker it the dialogue is something like dad uh, what should I do? You should try this. That won't work. Okay, try this. Okay, that works. And that's essentially the film. Uh, and he'll encounter something that tries to kill him. There's something else that tries to kill him. And then there's a giant eagle, and then the giant eagle tries to help him. And honestly, I have no idea what I wish they'd point. done this in the style of uh, some sort of LucasArts game. <laughs> yeah. I can't get it out of this like room. It sounds like Hobbit, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. It is an unexpected do. journey in many ways. <laughs> Um, and the whole point is he comes to the end, there's a, there's a, there's a thing hunting him, this Ursa, which is this alien human killing machine which okay. they brought with them on the ship um, and um, Phil, 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 is, Phil is gesticulating wildly that you have something to say no I just I just why are they bring it on the ship 
What? Quick, why is what are we left behind? Oh yes, this giant killing thing that if we were to crash, yes, would, would come and kill us all. Come and kill us all. And impale us all on trees. Um, well, ostensibly, it's that they're taking it to some training planet for tra- ghost <laughs> training, because that's what you do when you fight Ursus, you ghost, because it can't see, it's blind, but it smells your fear. So oh, if you have no fear... fear if you have no fear, it can't see you, and you can just kill it. Hence the, t- the dreadful tagline. Uh, was it? Danger is real, fear is Danger is real, fear yes. is a choice. That's the whole point. The dreadful. point is you have to choose to be afraid, which is obviously patently nonsense. I thought but. this looked really, really nice, though. I thought visually it, it was... It's very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, and it's not Avatar, though. Do you know no. what I mean? It, it's pretty, but it's very CG pretty. Um... And I thought they filmed a lot in Costa Rica, so yeah. There's, I mean, there's general general rainforest in there. I was just going to say, um, I, uh, as a counterpoint, there's got it's got some nice design. Well done. It, <laughs> yes. No, no, he's not wrong. The cutlass, which is the if anyone has noticed, this stick that Jaden has on his back, and it turns into a sort of a, a Darth more or less double ended mm. blade, but, and it has various permutations, so it can do different things. But what, I do get the sense um, people are reviewing like a gun. Yeah, be a gun. It can't be a gun. It can only be a stabby thing. You'd think they would have a gun, given that they've got sort of warp-capable starships, but no, no guns. Uh, I do get the sense that people are reviewing Jaden Smith and Will Smith. Uh, a lot of reviews I have seen have been very personal, and it's it's really not on. It's, yeah, but I mean, even, you know, I, I made a Jaden Smith Cartier reference at the beginning of the podcast, but that was just a joke. But, you know, it, it, it's not without merit, to be honest. It feels very much like he Jaden Smith is trying to be an A-list star by force of, pardon the pun, Will. Uh, and he's just he's, no seriously he's but he trying was very to, good in Granny Kid and, he was and, and he was very good in Pursuit of Happiness in this he's just not very good he in this doesn't come across he may grow into one he doesn't come across as star material he carries this film by virtue of the fact that Will Smith is absent for most of it bar a voice in his head um, and he's not really up to it he doesn't have the charisma Stranded. he's not particularly convincing and um, they're not an effective team and they're not an effective <laughs> team and indeed you know we've seen uh, better science fiction films this year and we will go on to see better science fiction films this year and even in a in a shallow year there, there wouldn't really be much to recommend this it's a shame actually because Knight I think really needed a win at this point because mm. you know after we like him he's, he's, yeah, well, no, he's great but you know Lady in the Water wasn't good The Happening wasn't good and then The Last Airbender was not good Yeah. Um, so I think he really needed a win and this isn't it I, I think you're right I think it's a perfect storm of, of the Will Smith nepotism uh, accusations and the the fact that people are gunning for M. Night as well at this point um, but I just don't think this is a particularly good film I hope M. Night bounces back and does something good because he's trying to make original stories and that's to be applauded yeah, I, want to see him, I want to see him finish his Unbreakable trilogy uh, making a second one with help yes. um, but we'll, yes, we'll see would. how that goes okay so two stars for After Earth and now the long awaited return of both Shane Meadows and the Stone Roses with a documentary made of stone which charts the comeback of Ian Brown and his bandmates as they reunite Meadows is a huge Roses fan so this is made with love and care isn't it Phil? It is. I was trying to remember if he's, if he's used to Stone Roses any of his soundtracks. I couldn't... I can't remember. Right in. Yeah. Um, Please really do. good. Really good. Really enjoyable. It's not going to be a... War- it, you know, there's... War- the, the Stone Roses do have this penchant for kind of imploding. And there, there are moments in their reunion tour where that happens. It's not Shane Meadows' aim to do a all the president's men on the Stone Roses. This isn't a piece of investigative journalism trying to get behind them. You do understand the chemistry of the band. It's fascinating to see. It's a real real privilege to be a fly on the wall when they're rehearsing their old stuff for the first time together. It's amazing. If you have any interest in their music or music at all or people with baggy trousers on or just the, just the fervour of these of their fan base getting back together it's uh, it's fantastic it's what, a real joy what if you're not a uh, massive Stone Roses fan like me who I quite like the first album I know I know it's meant to be the greatest album of all time but I only quite like it 
Yeah, it helps to be a Stone Roses fan. You don't have to be. Shane Meadows has got, you know, he puts together a great concert film. If you love concert movies, okay. that's yeah. enough, isn't it? I mean, do you yeah. have to be a, a, a fan of the band to want to watch Take This Waltz, for instance? Do you have to be a fan no. of, the, of the Stones to want to watch Gimme Shelter? No. Um, not necessarily. I think it's the same applies here. It's certainly, if you love the... If you love the Stones, I really like the Stone Roses. Would you put then, it up there with those two movies? I mean, those are pretty. That's a pretty high high bar. Oh, yeah, I, I, not far off. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe not the former. Certainly the latter. Probably. Um, it's uh, it's a it's a cracking piece of work. Mm. And, and Shane's in it. Uh, Shane is yeah. in it. Yeah, and it's quite a personal thing too, because as you say, you know, he's, he talks about as a kid growing up in Staffordshire. He loved the Stone Roses. He didn't get to go to Spike Island. He didn't get to go and see them in Manchester. Mm. He listened to their stuff in in uh, in his in his bedroom as a kid and so when there's this moment when they decide they need to have a, a kind of a, a gig before they go on their big world tour and they put it on Twitter they're having a free gig in Warrington in this small venue um, he says to the camera you know this is his bike island and you get a real sense of that it's really cool and there's a great cinematic moment there's lots of little kind of touches that make this film kind of special one of them is that that they put on Twitter that there's this free gig Radio 6 gets hold of it 6 Music gets hold of it and the camera's parked outside the venue and the first the first fans start trickling through and then word of mouth spreads and then it's like a it's a World War Z of, of baggy <laughs> baggy aging kind of Manchester fans just running en masse as this whole town and the people are Surely it's, it's hilarious it's gold rush oh that's very crazy. good very good there's a guy there's like this there's this builder he's like I've just come I've just knocked a hole in someone's wall I haven't finished it yet Dave if you're watching I'll be back tomorrow I had to go <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of you know really lovely personal bits and the music stuff is great and it's really it's really inspiring how's it look because like. it's shot by um, or, or overseen because obviously there are multiple cameras by uh, Laurie Rose who's Ben Wheatley's uh, regular DP so it top looks, stuff yeah it looks good top stuff he said he started with like an, I- with like an iPhone mm. because it was all like kind of coming together and the story I think unfolds in a way that I don't know if he expected it to work out that way there was a moment when it looks like it's going to fall apart and yeah. he's very upset and you're thinking if this doesn't happen that doesn't happen the film doesn't really work so there's a lot riding on it for Shane and that comes across the emotion comes across but it gathers momentum and then you have lots of multiple cameras and you know crane shots and it's cinematic in that sense and it mm. gathers towards their heat and part reunion is it going to happen, isn't it? Mm. Well, it did, but, you know, spoiler. And if you are a fan of the Stone Roses, and uh, there may still be tickets available, I'm not sure if they're the gig in Finsby Park this weekend. There, I believe there are, on yeah. Saturday. So, yeah. And and today, potentially, as well. Check uh, it out. Indeed, and uh, I believe Shane Meadows will be there. We tried to get him on the podcast, unfortunately his schedule wouldn't allow it, but if you do want to read more from Shane Meadows on this movie, there's a fantastic interview he did with our own Dan Jolin, which is up now on the Empire website, and I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend that. Okay, so that's what, four stars for Made of Stone? Four stars. Uh, we should also mention that The Last Exorcism Part 2, uh, Eli Roth was in in March to talk about that. You can check that old podcast out. Uh, it's available, obviously, on our SoundCloud iTunes pages. Uh, it's well worth a listen. Uh, Eli is very, very funny. Unfortunately, the film isn't great, we, and we've given it two stars. That's it for the Empire Podcast for this week. Join us next week for more formulated fun when we'll be faster than a speeding building, we'll be able to leap tall bullets in a single bound, and we'll be more powerful than a constant locomotive. Look! Up in the sky! Is it a bird? Phil, you're actually looking. It's just, <laughs> it's it? just a thing. It's early. Is it a plane? Uh, no, I it, don't know. We're in it's, a room. It's, no, it's the, it's the Empire Podcast, Man of Steel specials. Oh, yes. That's, that's what I was...
doing. Next Friday, the 14th, our regular Man of Steel spoiler special will be up for those itching to dissect the long-awaited return of Kal-El and his mates. But the regular podcast will also be up, and there'll be much to do about something on that one for Joss Bloody Whedon. We'll be coming to talk about much to do about nothing, and we'll try and pin him down on Avengers 2 stuff as well. So that's going to be a bumper week, and no mistake. So come back in seven days for the full skinny. Until then, it's goodbye from Nev. He's already said goodbye and, and buggered off. It's goodbye from Ali. Bye now. It's goodbye from James. Uh, goodbye from me pretending to be Nick. So goodbye from both of us. That's true. And it's goodbye from Phil pretending to be Nev. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me pretending to be me. See you next week.